Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am the overseer for all we do for this people, all of our congregations in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Let me be the first to say Merry, uh, Merry Christmas. That's, that's the last to say that. Happy New Year. Uh, I believe 24 is going to be really great for you. Great doesn't mean fun. Great means better. Better doesn't mean comfortable. <laughs> You're just going to find God in new ways. And he's going to bless you in ways you didn't expect. He's going to grow you up in ways that don't make you feel that great. But the fruit is really wonderful. He's going to leverage all of your mistakes for his good. He's going to show you how much he forgives you for your sin. And bless you beyond what you can even ask or think with a purpose and a calling that allows you to extend his kingdom in the earth. That's what 24, at least my hope, is for you. It sure is good to see you, especially our guests. Thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. Really special. And um, we're grateful to be able to serve you as a staff. Turn with me over to the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. The title of the message is New Year's, a different approach. New Year's, a different approach. Please stand as we read the word. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. 15. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Lord, Bless the reading of the word and help us to hear so that we can obey in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Three things in this passage about which I'd like to speak. One, how we need to love differently. Two, how we need to see differently. And three, how we need to know differently. Paul is working really hard to help the church at Corinth understand the benefits of redemption. And he says, the love of Christ constrains us or con controls us. The word there in the Greek is suneko, and it means to hold together. The word of, of, of Christ and the love of Christ controls us. It holds us together so that we don't fall apart. Now, Paul is saying there's a supernatural, there's a different kind of love that we need to exercise on a regular basis. It's not the love that we see portrayed in Hollywood. I'm not quite sure what that is. I don't know. But it's not Bible love. It's not God love. I have some other words for it, but I'd have to define them differently this morning, and I don't have time. It says the love of Christ. And it's not just the love that we receive from Christ. It's the love that we must give as a result of 
Christ in our life. It's Christ's love that constrains us, suneko, holds us together so that when we have the opportunity to love people at the God kind of level of love, and that is a theological way of saying love people when people are unlovable because God loves us not because we are so lovable. It's not like you're good company. He has to really work hard to hang out with you. Do you know those people who want to go out and hang, but you don't want to hang with them? They think they are more to you than you think they are to you. And they believe that you are their best friend, but they are far from yours. But if you, if you, if you say no, they're going to fall apart because they don't have many friends. And so you feel this compassion to go with them, but it, 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 it's, it's the kind of of attention you need to give that you got to draw deep from in your soul. And you have to say, okay, a one-hour lunch, I'll make it through. (laughs) Now, by your laughter, some of you have done this. And by your silence, you're the one to whom it was done. (laughs) But think about this. God says, All day long, every day. That's what I have to deal with when you approach me. You don't think like me. You ignore me. You don't act like me. You treat me really bad even when we're together. You accuse me of wrongdoing when all I have ever done is right. You accuse me of neglect when every day of my life all I've done is watch over you. I watch over the sparrows. I care for the lilies of the field and the grass. How much more do I care for you and you think I've been neglectful because you haven't gotten what you wanted? This is how we treat our God regularly. And we give him every reason to go find somebody else or someplace else to hang out with or be. And he says, I choose you. I choose you. Let's go to lunch. Let's go to life. That's the love of Christ. And he says, that stuff, that love, it holds me together when people are unlovable. And Paul was recognizing that he was in very unlovable circumstances, many of them. Not only people who didn't like him because he was preaching the gospel, but even folks who were in his midst, some of of his staff, that would betray him, treat him horribly, deny that he was even legitimate, take some of his influence and use it for their own gain and not give him any credit for it. Paul was in the midst of rejection constantly. And he said, the love of Christ motivates me every day of my life and holds me together when I feel like I'm going to fall apart and do something for which I will regret. I'll have great regret if I do it. Jesus said this We need to love our enemies. It's a hard thing to do. People who have treated you intentionally wrong, have hurt you deeply. He said, love those people. What good is it? This is Matthew chapter 5 in the 40s. What good is it if you love people who love you? He said, the world does that. You're not showing any supernatural influence in your life. 
You're not showing that God is really tr- tr- has treated you different, therefore you need to treat other people different. You're not showing he's evident. Love people who hate you. He said, if you, if you find somebody who slaps you, strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other one also. <laughs> somebody starts throwing hands, you throw in the second one. The natural response is not after this to go. <laughs> you got to be motivated by something other than you. It's got to be supernatural. Now, from this passage, many people believe that Jesus was somehow codifying pacifism. He wasn't. He wasn't a pacifist. A nation gets to defend itself against wrongdoers that are trying to disturb its, its reality. A homeowner somebody is a violator of that, breaks into the house. You do everything you possibly can to neutralize the threat. He's not a fat pacifist. What he was saying is that in interpersonal relationships, you have to treat people differently if you want to show them how much God loves them. So when somebody hits you here, strikes you on the cheek, and knocks out a tooth, see, that's particular. Because there's something in the Bible that says something about teeth. An eye for an eye. Hmm, 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 hmm. So they knock out a tooth, you say, okay. <laughs> I got all the rights available to me now. Pow! It's Bible. It's Bible. And Jesus says this, con- this, this concept, he quotes this, coins this phrase, let turn to the other cheek, after he says, you've heard, it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Because he was trying to get the motivation for the passage. The motivation for the passage was not get even. The motivation for the passage was if he knocks out your tooth, you can't burn down his house. You can only get another tooth. But you don't have to do that. That's the motivation for the passage. And it's just not not doing violence. We think that we've done really good if we didn't strike them back. (sighs) Woo! All right, I restrained myself. But you haven't turned the other cheek yet. Turning the other cheek means you give it to them to strike. It doesn't mean you withdraw. (laughs) Boy, this is a different kind of love, isn't it? This different kind of love. But he's not again, he's not again trying to, to convey pacifism. What he's saying is this, this part over here is really hurt. I mean, he, he got you good. He clocked you. But this part over here is healthy. It's not hurt. Where it's red and swollen, over here, you're healthy. Turn to him the side of health. Let him see how much God loves him, even in the midst of his anger and resentment and his bitterness and his unlovableness. Let him see something different because every day of your life, this is what God feels like. That we are striking him on one cheek and he constantly turns to us a redemptive side. 
The love of Christ constrains me. It holds me together so I don't say something stupid. I don't say something from which I will have to to apologize and find a place of repentance. Lord, help me to be proactive and love people who don't love me. Why? Because that's the way you treated me. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. So when, when Paul is talking about the love of Christ constraining us or controlling us, Suneko, holding us together. He's saying it's not only the love of Christ, meaning the love we receive from him, but it's the love for Christ that I have that controls my actions. I love him so much, I want to make sure that I love people the same. Jesus tied the two together in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Man comes to him and says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind and with all of your soul, your strength, everything you've got, love him. He said, but the second is tied to it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Impossible, impossible to love God without loving people. Impossible. You can't love God without loving people right, loving people well. So when he says the love of Christ holds me together so that I don't fall apart when it's most important for me to give a witness. That there's consistency between what I preach and what I do. He's saying that I need to be a representative of Jesus everywhere I go all the time. I need to understand that my responsibility is to be what he wants me to be rather than what I want to be. To suppress ourselves. And elevate his character in our lives. And this has to be cultivated. It is not something that you can just flip on. You have to think about it. You might even have to rehearse it. Because somebody said something to you yesterday at work. But you didn't have the quick comeback. And so you, you had a long drive home. And then you were at dinner, and you were quiet, and you didn't say nothing to nobody, and you were still thinking about it. And then you got in bed and thought, I know what I'm going to say tomorrow. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to say tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to come back like this, and they ain't, they ain't, they ain't, they're not going to know what to say. Rather than her- rehearsing that, you spend that drive home praying for them. Because the love of Christ is keeping you together. It's controlling your actions and your words. Praying for him, saying, God, I forgive him. I release him. I let him go. And Lord, help me to love him tomorrow in ways that are unusual. Help me not just to not do wrong. Help me to be proactive and do right. I wonder if Helen Steiner Rice has written a card on this. Oh, gosh, you all don't know who she is. Okay, she was a woman in my generation that wrote all the Hallmark cards. All the Hallmark cards were written by Heller. Never mind. If somebody has written something <clears throat> that I can use in order to make sure that I'm responding highest and best so that my God is honored and the kingdom progresses in this person's life, Lord, that's what I want. 
That's what you go to bed thinking about. And that way you're not kept up all night worrying about your reputation. Worrying about what they're going to come back with. You've prayed, you've given it to God, and you know that tomorrow's going to be one of the greatest redemptive days of your life. The love of Christ controls you. Secondly, he says, for we recognize nobody according to the flesh anymore seen differently. In 2024, I hope you see differently, not just love differently, but see differently. We recognize no one according to the flesh. We used to recognize Christ that way, but we recognize him no more because we realize who he was and what he did. Now, when Paul says we used to recognize Christ that way, remember, even though we have no record that Paul ever interacted with the person of Jesus before his death and, and burial and resurrection, we know that he had to at some level. Why? Because they were contemporaries. And Paul was a, was a Pharisee of some note. He was on the rise. You could not be a, a full-fledged Pharisee until you were 30 years of age. And so Jesus was 33 or 33, yeah, when he died, which would have put it right about 30 AD. And we know that Paul began his ministry as a result of seeing Christ on the road to Damascus <clears throat> when Christ had risen from the dead and showed, revealed himself to him in his glory somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 33 AD, so it would have been about three years after Jesus rose from the dead, which meant that Paul was a contemporary of Christ in Jerusalem and would obviously have been at every feast because all the, the, the Pharisees had to come three times a year to the feast in Jerusalem. Jesus was at the feast, and that's where he made his most profound statements in Jerusalem. So he would have seen Christ that way. He would have heard Christ, though he may not have argued with Christ. He would have heard many of the messages that he preached in Jerusalem. And so when he says, I knew him like this, but when I saw him this way, I don't regard him like that at all anymore. He's speaking of, of personal interaction, probably. But he's then saying, we don't regard anybody like that because post-resurrection makes everybody different. Everybody different. Not just the Jesus I saw on the road to Damascus that changed my life forever, but everybody is now a new creation in Christ. Just as I have been transformed and Paul was a persecutor of the church. You would not have known that his life was the way it was before he met Christ if you knew him only after Christ. This man was so different. Everything he believed, everything he did was contrary to who he was before. So if anybody had the credibility to talk about what new creation reality would be like, it would be this dude. I'm not the same, he's saying. No way am I anything like that dude named Saul. We think this is one of the reasons he probably changed his name. That he wasn't trying to hide. Everybody knew who he was from before. But he was trying to say, I'm not that guy. Even though you see me. I look like that guy. Something has changed on the inside of me. Don't look at me like I used to be. Not according to the flesh anymore. <laughs> the problem is this. We see flesh before we see anything of redemption. And when somebody has hurt us deeply, we see flesh strongly. We almost smell it. We understand it differently and now the person that we have called a friend 
Somebody that we have fellowship with and broke bread with and gone to movies with. Somebody we may have, 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 have BFF'd with. That person now stabs us in the back and says some stuff that they should not say on the internet about us. And then they apologize. Ho, 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 ho. Apologies don't mean a thing to me. You ruined my reputation. You dragged me through the mud publicly. We're done. We see them according to the flesh. I'm just so happy that that is not God's reflexive response to us. <laughs> One betrayal and you're done. That's the way we treat people. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Everything was beautiful, beautiful, perfect. God said, just don't eat from that tree in the middle of the garden. Knowledge of good and evil, and the day you eat of it, you will die. A serpent comes, begins to talk to them, begins to accuse God of being less than fair and a little protective of his own authority. God knows that when you eat this thing, you're going to be like him. and He don't want any competition. He wants to be him alone, and he's afraid that you're going to be like him, and, and that's, that, that's not good. He has not made you fully what you should be. If you eat from this tree, though, you will become everything you've always desired. When they were already everything God wanted them to be. Everything. Eve listens. Adam is right beside her listening, too. She sees that the tree is desirable to make one wise, good for food, and pleasant to the eye. Takes it eats, gives some to her husband to eat. Afterwards, it says the eyes, the very next verse, the eyes of both of them were open. Something happens when we sin to our eyes. Something happens when other people sin to our vision of them. Something happens. Immediately, it says to try to remedy the fact that their eyes were telling them, revealing to them things they'd never seen before. They go out and try to find fig leaves and cover themselves because they realize, I don't want to be seen like this by her. I don't want to be seen like this by him. I feel different, and it's not the way I want to appear. And isn't it true that when we blow it, we try to make sure people don't see us that way? We call it lying pretending things aren't as bad as they really are to other people so we are not perceived in a certain light. And then they were not only concerned about how each other saw each other, but they were concerned about how God saw them. And so what did they do? They ran and hid, which doesn't make much sense. Like God can't find them. But he says, Adam, uh, where are you? And remember, when God is asking questions of you, he's never looking for information. He's trying to educate you. Do you know how far you've gone whereby I have to call you? I have to, I have to call out to you for you to come? We used to walk together regularly. I can't find you now, so you've distanced yourself from me. Do you realize that? Mm, did you eat from the tree? Yeah. Well, let me rephrase that, Adam says. It was the woman. <clears throat> it was the woman that you gave me. I didn't ask for her. I was doing just fine. She just showed up. I went to sleep, and there she was when I woke up. Blame shifting. 
when Adam was right beside her, when the serpent was talking to her. Some, some people say, well, you know, the Bible's really not true. It's a bunch of fables. Animals can't talk. Yes, they can. You just don't understand them. That's right. <laughs> you have no idea what that was. <laughs> Elephants. You have no idea what they're saying, but they're talking. But they can understand us. Sin hadn't affected them near as much as it's affected us. Our ears can't hear anymore. Sit. Boom. Go. Run. Cats understand. They just don't care. <laughs> could talk. And Adam and Eve could understand. It's a woman you gave me. You gave me. And then Eve says, the serpent that you created... He deceived me and I ate. Everybody's blame shifting. And, and Adam and Eve obviously needed after this some, some marital counseling. And, and, and God was the only one to give it to them. Uh, there's nobody else. And so, but, but, but I mean, can you imagine the conversations that happened afterwards? Adam, you threw me under the bus like that? Uh, I mean, in front of God, you you said it was all my fault. But like you were in charge. He told you and then you told me and you were the one who was supposed to be governing. Why didn't you tell that thing to shut up? Conversations. We don't have them. But I, if you're married, you understand what I'm talking about. Those conversations happen. They needed help. Long way around at the front door saying they saw one another differently. Sin changes our view. And the only way we can get fixed with our eyesight is through the cross. We no longer regard people according to the flesh or what they've done wrong. We now see them differently. People will hurt you. They will hurt you real bad. Probably most of them won't try, but there will be those who try. And everything on the inside of you will want to imprison them in their last offense and keep them there forever in your mind. You say things like, well, I, I'm a Christian, so I'll, I'll forgive. But then you, you go to God and say, God, I've forgiven them, but you know, you can get them if you want to. <laughs> I, won't go, I won't go get them, but, 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 but your vengeance is yours. And you may not say that, but if something bad happens to them, do you weep? Do you weep? Or do you go, serves you right for hurting a child of God? What's your attitude? Everything about our, our response should be one of redemption. And we first, when somebody hurts us, we say, I'm not going to. I'm not in my mind going to keep them in that place. I'm going to forgive them, which means to let them go. It has nothing to do with your emotions. Forgiveness has nothing to do with your emotions. It is a decision to say, I will not, I will not require of you to pay me back for anything you have done against me. That's all it is. And then your emotions still are charged. You're still not happy. You're still hurt. That's where you go to God and say, heal me. Heal me, please, so I can relate better. Once you're healed, then you begin the process of restoring relationship. 
if it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible, but if it's possible, you begin the process of restoring relationship. This is the way God treats us, except he doesn't have to go through the process of healing. He just immediately draws us in after we ask for forgiveness. He doesn't look at us according to the flesh. He looks at us through the cross that Christ bore for our benefit. And no longer does he see us according to the sins we've committed, but according to Christ's forgiveness of those sins. This is how the love of Christ controls you so that you treat people differently. And hopefully, others will treat you differently. Lastly, we need to know differently. For we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and new things have come. Ah, let this be a reality for you in 2024. That we are brand new. There's nothing about us that should, should remind anybody of our old us. Nothing. Ah, we look the same. Mm. Same physical appearance, walk. But we've been made brand new. The people who have known me the longest, my siblings, they know what Brett was before he became right with God and what he is now. And they know this, that only God could have made Brett what he is now. Because surely it was not a self-help book. It, was a better, it wasn't a betterment seminar. God did a miracle and made my brother brand new. Not refurbished. Not fixed up. Brand new. He took a house that was completely condemned, unlivable, and decided to raise it to the ground and build something brand new on the same property. And so if you look in the location, it's me. But if you look at the house, it's not. God has done something beautiful with everyone who has proclaimed his name and asked for forgiveness and calls him now their Savior and Lord. He has done something beautiful, and we need to recognize it because if you don't recognize it, you won't live like it. We need our Christian population to live unusually great, not just tolerant, not just okay. We need better people on the planet. Can anybody say amen to that? And the best people, the people who are most eligible to be the best people are Christians because we've been made brand new. That word new creation means something that has never existed before. It is not a reclamation project. It is something that has never been. You are something that has never been. And every day you are getting better at whatever you're supposed to be. You're allowing the discipleship process to have its perfect work in your soul so that you begin to look and talk and act and walk like Jesus. I'll close with this. I was in high school and I was playing football and it was parents' day. And that's the day when uh, the parents come out at halftime and all of the crowd says, yeah, yeah, and the, the 
player goes off uh, in the middle of the field to meet the parent and walks back. It is a pretty cool day. And uh, so I was there, and, and uh, parents were lined up, and my dad was like second or third, someplace in there. <clears throat> they did it by name. I can't remember. But um, he began walking before they announced his name. So you'd have to wait till somebody got to the 50. Parent got to the 50, the other one was at the 25, and the other with the goal line. And uh, he began walking. And a friend who was next to me on the team said, that's your dad, isn't it? I said, yeah. How'd you know? We had other African-American kids on the team. How'd you know? He said, he walks just like you. Can anybody tell your gods by your walk? Anybody? 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 You ought to walk like him. You ought to talk like him. People ought to know you're a believer before you open your mouth. Even though they may not be able to explain it theologically, they just know you are different because they've seen you walk. And the only one they can figure who walks like you supernaturally, loving the unlovable, being kind to those who are mean, befriending those who aren't very friendly. The only one I know who can do that is this guy named Jesus. I haven't even read about him much, but I heard he's really unusually great, and you sound a lot like him. John said this in 1 John 2.16. I think it's 2.16. He who believes in him, 2.6, must walk just as he did. Let your walk look so much like God that folks can't tell the difference. Let's pray. Love you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and grace. I'm asking that you would help us all to make 2024 spectacularly, unusually, spiritually motivated in a way that gives us a December 31st that says, wow, look at what God did in my life and everything around me.